Well, while they're taking their seats, just by way of uh, reiterating what Betsy said, there's going to be even more people, even more kids, uh, and you are going to be in for an absolute treat tonight at uh, 7 o'clock for our, uh, our choir uh, cantata. Uh, the kids are, are all excited. Uh, there's a ton of angels. If you've never seen a heavenly host of angels, uh, you come now. Uh, you come at seven o'clock and you'll, uh, you'll get to see all of our kids at their finest. Uh, these guys have been working really hard and, uh, from, from the bit that I've heard of it while, uh, that I get to hear before prayer meeting starts on Wednesdays, uh, it's gonna be outstanding. So you guys come and hear all the hard work that they've put into it and, uh, I think that you'll, you'll find a blessing in the midst of it. And so if you have your Bible today with you, turn to the book of First Timothy. We're gonna be in First Timothy chapter one. Verse 15. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your many blessings. Lord, thank you for uh, the gift of music. Thank you for the voices that are in the choir. Thank you for all of the people who are, who are here in each seat. God, I pray that as we go into this Christmas season, or as we continue in this Christmas season, that you would continue to uh, give us a heart like your heart. I pray that we would be people. Uh, who desire the things that you desire. And God, as we, uh, as we look into the book of First Timothy uh, and we see the purpose for your son, Jesus Christ, I pray that you would overwhelm us with your grace. I pray that you would overwhelm us with uh, your presence. And God, I pray that uh, as we, we dive into this text, that you would use me and that you would feed your people. God, I pray that you would uh, open our hearts and you would open our ears so that we could behold uh, magnificent things from your word. And so we don't do any of this uh, out of redundancy, but we express our continual need for you uh, to fill us with your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we're in First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Here we go. It is a trustworthy statement. Deserving full acceptance that Christ came in, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And so in this letter, Timothy, excuse me, in this letter, Paul writes to Timothy in verse 15, a statement that is worthy of full acceptance in the statement. I'll read it again. It's a trustworthy statement. Deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. And so in the introduction to this letter to Timothy, Paul wants him to know first and foremost that the Jesus Christ that we worship, Jesus Christ that we serve, he came into the world with a very, very specific purpose. And that purpose was to save sinners. Any of you guys ever gotten a Christmas gift and you opened it up? And you thought, wow, thank you. What is it? What do I do with it? Uh, I, I want to fall in love with this gift. If you'll just tell me what it is, I'll be even more grateful for it. And I'll use it for its specific purpose. Well, Jesus is the gift that God gives the world. And Jesus doesn't just, he, he, God doesn't want you to have him and not know what to do with him. He wants you to know the purpose of Jesus Christ. And that purpose is that Jesus came into this world. He left heaven. He left all of heaven's glory. Can you imagine what heaven would be like just for a minute? One of the people in scripture I feel the most sorry for is Lazarus. 
Lazarus uh, goes through the sickness for, for three or four days. Lazarus is, is actively dying. And if you've ever seen somebody go through the, the last stages of life, it's really sad. And once they are released into to God's arms, sometimes there's almost a relief that all of the suffering, all of the pain of this life is finally over. And then Jesus shows up at Lazarus's grave and says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come back from heaven. Come back from all of the glory that you're presently experiencing and come back to this life filled with pain and anxiety and stress and all of the other things that this life is filled with. Following me? And so you think that he's, he's at the right, he's, the Bible says to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. And so you have Lazarus is present with the Lord. And then Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And now he's back on earth. There's no more streets of gold. There's no more, there's no more mansions in heaven. There's no more anything. Now he's back on this earth. And I think, boy, that must have stunk. It sounds great for Lazarus's family that yes, Lazarus is back from the dead, but for Lazarus himself, it's a tragedy. And so can you imagine what it would have been like for the rest of his days on earth to be living here and to be missing what it was like in heaven? Even so more. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus when he left the father's side and he took on flesh, became a man and dwelt among us? It says that Jesus came into the world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so Jesus comes into this world and he left everything that he was with and he became one of us for a purpose to save sinners. If you want to, you're welcome to flip over to Titus chapter three. All of the T's in the New Testament are together. It's pretty handy that the Holy Spirit did that. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 says this. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. And so the Scriptures say that Jesus Christ says that Christ Jesus... Man, I forgot already. Came into the world to save sinners, of whom I foremost am the worst. And so Christ came into the world to save sinners. And in Titus, he tells you that he didn't save us based on the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but rather according to his mercy. And so the principle is this. Christ comes into the world to save sinners. But he didn't come to save sinners who had done certain good things so that they could earn their salvation. Jesus Christ came into the world to save all sinners. Not just people who are actively trying to do good. So here's the principle. We're going to have three events in our church. And we're going to be inviting the public into our church. And we're, we're sponsoring the, uh, the Bertie County course. They're going to come into our fellowship hall. And we're going to provide them with spaghetti dinners. And all of their parents are going to be invited. And so why do we do something like that at Christmas time? Why do we make our lives even more busy just to serve people? The purpose is this. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. So if we can have the course in our fellowship hall and they invite their parents and they invite other people in the community to come hear them, we want to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to them because that's the purpose for which Jesus came. He came into the world to save sinners. And how much more appropriate than at Christmas time to have sinners in the church and we can share the gospel with them and pray that Jesus would save them, which is his intended purpose at Christmas time. With me? 
And that's, that's riddled full of amens from the congregation. That's a very good thing. And so then, even more so, we're going to have an even bigger concert uh, on the 17th in this room right here. And about 70 members from the Bertie Chorus are going to be here. And all of their friends and family, a whole different group of people, hopefully, are going to be here again. And so why do we make ourselves even busier on December 17th to sponsor a course full of a bunch of kids that we don't know to come here and use all of our stuff. Why would we let them do that? Because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And if there's a sinner in the course, if there's a sinner in the course's family, if there's friends of the course that are sinners, we want that precious baby, that gift of Jesus Christ to save sinners here. It goes even further. I've obligated us to a soup kitchen. All right. I didn't know that all these things were coming our way in December. Just so you know, these opportunities came to us and we took advantage of them. We're going to have a soup kitchen here, a community Christmas meal on the 21st of December. How much sense does that make that four days before Christmas, we're going to ask you guys to stop what you're doing, come to church and feed the community a Christmas meal? Even more, we're probably going to have some people in the community Christmas meal that don't need it. Right? They're going to be taking advantage of a free meal, you say. Perfect. Those are the people that we want to share the gospel with. Why? Because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. So anything that we can do to get a sinner to hear the gospel, we want to do. And how more perfect of a time to do it than Christmas time. Remember what Titus said? That Jesus doesn't save people based on righteous deeds that they've done. And so if somebody wants to take advantage of something that we're giving them, perfect. That's exactly what we want. Because we want to share the gospel with that person with any means possible. Because Jesus Christ, what did he do? He came into the world to save sinners. Now, you think, what does that look like? That means that there's going to be a bunch of people who don't look like us, who don't smell like us, who don't act like us, who don't talk like us. There's going to be all of these different people in our church. And what are we going to do? We're going to love them. We're going to, we're going to serve them just like Christ did. Do you know what it's like to be a Christian? You may not have known what you signed up for when you became a Christian. But Jesus Christ was a servant. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and then Jesus Christ became our servant. And you are commanded, once you receive Christ, to be what? To be a servant also. So who are you a servant of? You're a servant of a servant. Do you realize how low of a status that we as believers have? We, should, we are going to eagerly serve these people. And then, at, just because of the role that I serve at our church, and then at a given time during each of these events, I'm going to stand up. And I'm going to tell them that Jesus Christ at this Christmas season became flesh. And he came to this earth so that he could save sinners. And so I myself am a sinner. And I'm going to stand in front of a group of sinners. And I'm going to tell them that Jesus Christ came to save me. And that gift, that grace, that mercy is available for you also. That's why I'm asking you to do all of these things during the Christmas season. Because this... This fulfills the ultimate purpose for which Jesus came. You ever given somebody a gift and then next year you, you go to their house and it's in the exact same place they put it when you gave them to it last year? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, like, I really like that thing you gave me. Yeah, well, that book wouldn't be in the same place if you'd actually read it. Or that whatever wouldn't have been in the same place if you would have actually used it. And when I asked to borrow the thing that I gave you for Christmas... 
Because sometimes we give dads gifts for Christmas that we want to borrow. Dad, if that gift was really important to you, it wouldn't have been still in the package two years later when I asked to borrow it back. How much of a tragedy would it be if we didn't do anything with the gift of Jesus Christ that, gave, that, that God gave to us? And so this Christmas, one of the, the, the greatest things that I think we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to be with sinners. And that's a great thing. Let me just go ahead and, uh, and, and, and throw something out there. Uh, race is a big issue uh, within, within the South. And let me just, let me, let me comment on one thing that I hear a lot of people say. Uh, obviously, if you're going to be doing things for, for people, you're going to have, you're going to have black people show up. And if there's black people here, I'm, I'm just being very straightforward. I'm, I'm not trying to be politically correct, but I want you to hear the heart of what I'm trying to make. And so this is something that I hear from a lot of white people. I hear, oh, they need to pull their pants up. So I say, maybe, maybe we wear our pants at our waist. Maybe sometimes we don't. Let me tell you something that I've seen over the years. And this is going to be not very, let me step out of the pulpit just for a second. I have seen the top sides of more white people's bottoms than I have black people's bottoms. When someone comes around where I am and I see their underwear, so? If I see the raw side of their backside, that's way more offensive. And I see way more white people's backsides than I do black people's backsides. That's a true statement. I can't think of one black person's backside that's been in the open that I've seen. There's many a white plumbers going around the South that every time they come around, we see what they have. That's a true statement. Is it, is it awkward to our white culture for people to wear pants down below their waist? Yes, it's awkward. Have we seen anything that we shouldn't see? No, because let me tell you something else about the, the style of the black community. Normally, there's the shorts that you see, and they have underwear under those shorts. That's not the way I wear my pants, but who cares? Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He didn't care what they looked like, and he didn't care about anything else about them. He came to be with them. And listen, those are the things that he taught. Turn over to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And just for the record, if any of that shows up on Facebook or Twitter, I'm going to hack your account and say all sorts of things about you that you don't want me to say. Okay? Jesus teaching in the book of Luke says this. Now all this is Luke chapter 15, verse one. He says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Now you had two types of people. You had sinners and then you had Tax collectors. The tax collector would have been the sinner that everybody knew was a sinner because he's going to be the guy who's who's taking more taxes than he should take. Uh, in this day and age, the tax collector was a Jewish citizen who had who they viewed as a traitor. They're collecting taxes for the Roman government, and so it would be like one of us. It would be like someone from Windsor collecting taxes to give to a group of people that we just don't like. Who, who exercise rule and dominion over us. And so you can, you can use whatever illustration you want to, but this tax collector would have been viewed by his people as a traitor. But Jesus sits down with him. It says all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. Now, 
in the rest of this sermon, you're going to need to realize this. If you are a grumbler and you are a complainer when sinners come near Jesus, you fall into the category of being a Pharisee. If when we talk about having sinners come near and having sinners come near us to hear the gospel, if the first thing that comes out of your mouth is grumbling and complaining, then you fit into the role of the Pharisee in all of these stories, in all of these stories. And listen, that's not a good thing. But listen, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so even if you fall into the category of being a Pharisee, God in his mercy can save you also. Because here's the thing, if you've ever been a recipient of God's grace, if you have ever had God's grace given to you freely, you wouldn't grumble at all when sinners came around to receive that same grace. You would eagerly want to share that grace with everyone around you because it is of such great magnitude that you want everybody else to experience it. And so if you may be the type of person who who grumbles and complains whenever sinners come near, you probably haven't ever understood the grace of God personally in your life. And he came to save sinners and he can set you free from that. And all you need to do is cast yourself upon his mercies and he will save you and you can experience his grace. And so having said that, he told them with this parable, what man among you has what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety nine in the open pasture and go after the one lost until he finds it. I don't understand this parable at all. So apparently it's normal for a shepherd to leave 99 and go after the one lost sheep. Uh, when I read this parable, I think, I, I still got 99. I've still got 99 sheep. Why go after the one? But apparently Jesus is the type of shepherd that is able to keep 99 safe in an open pasture. And it's worth it for him to go and seek that one sheep that's lost. It's worth it to him to leave those and to go after the one. Then he says this. And when he has found it, when the shepherd found the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. And so this Christmas, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And if you want to know what heaven goes nuts about, it's not a UNC, NC State game. It's not a ECU is doing great this year. Heaven goes nuts over one sinner who repents. And we're going to do our best to reach the gospel or to reach this town with the gospel. And we want to see tons of sinners repent. That's what we're after this Christmas. Now, this story makes a little bit more sense. Verse 8. What woman... If she has ten silver coins and loses it, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And so the idea is that there's a woman. I've heard all sorts of preachers say all sorts of different things. I've heard that women used to wear a headband of coins. And if there was one coin missing, it meant that she was a harlot. And so she searches eagerly for the coin because it's been lost. I've read that the silver coins that they're talking about are a denarius, which is worth one day's wages. Either way, listen to this. A woman had some coins and she lost one of them. And when did she lose it? Apparently she lost it at night. 
And listen to how the Jewish people, how the Hebrew people used to sleep. They had a house that probably had one room. And so all of the family would be in one corner of the room. And then in order to bring their animals out of the element, it was nothing for them to bring some of the animals in the house and to let them lay down in the house also. And so you have the family in one section. You've got animals in another section. And listen to what happens. It says that she had ten silver coins. She lost one. So apparently it's at night when she finds out she loses it or when she lost it. And then it says, Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Get this picture. There's a lady in a house and she's lost a coin and you're all in one room and you've got all the children asleep. You've got the family asleep and this, these are these are hard workers. There's, there's nothing automated about anything they do. And so the man of the house is tired. All the kids are finally asleep. The animals are in the house and they're asleep, too. And when it's nighttime, everybody just stay still. Don't cause a ruckus. But this coin is of such great value that she lights a lamp. What, what happens to you? What happens inside of you when somebody cuts a light on in the middle of the night and wakes you up? Get mad. Yeah, get a lot looking like a sinner then, don't you? Cut that light out. Turn the light out. I'm sleeping. What happens when somebody goes to use the bathroom and doesn't shut the door all the way and that light's peeking into your eyes? Well, you know they should have just shut the door all the way. I'm not saying that happens in my house. I'm just saying that I've heard stories from you guys that that sort of thing happens. This coin is of such importance to her that she lights a candle and she searches the house. And so you can imagine she's, she's waking kids up. Get up, slide over. I've lost a coin. Husband, get over, roll over. You big loaf, I've lost a coin. The animals are getting up now. She's in the house. And this coin is of such importance for her to find that she's, she's awoken the house in the middle of the night in order to find it. And so it says in verse 9, when she has found it, she calls together her friends. What if she found it in the middle of the night? Doesn't matter. It's of such great importance to her that she calls together her friends. And neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. Verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Why are we going to be so busy at Christmas time? Why am I asking you for 20 some odd turkeys? Why am I asking you for, for crates and crates of green beans? It's so that we can invite sinners to something and we can share the gospel with them. Because what better to give Christ at Christmas time than something he'll celebrate? And it says here, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The rest of the story, verse 11. And he said, now, just so you know, Jesus is talking to Pharisees when he's, when he's, when he's talking about this story. And so the prodigal son in this story isn't actually the core subject of the story. The older brother is actually the, 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 the main theme of the story. And I hope you'll get it here. And he said, verse 11, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he, the father, divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when a, 
Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Verse 16. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods of the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate now. His older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older son, became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look. For so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a commandment of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. And so God, the father rejoices like this man when a sinner comes home. You don't see Jewish men in scripture running rarely, very ever. Just don't run. It's not noble. It's not reserved. But when this son was seen from a distance, coming back to the father, the father girded his his pants, whatever he wore, his robe, and he ran to meet the son. He ran to meet the son. And when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, God ran to meet you also. Don't be like the older son in this story. Don't be like the older son who thinks that it's just us four and no more. Because that is not the case. The father wants all who are in the world to repent and come to Jesus Christ. And so we do, we are doing the things that we're doing this December so that sinners can be saved. Because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. You following me? That's why we're going to do the things that we do. Now, the cool thing about Jesus, Jesus is like the ultimate leader. Jesus doesn't just give you a bunch of things. He doesn't just give you a bunch of principles. But he actually puts his principles into play. Luke chapter 19. Go forward a few pages. Luke chapter 19. Verse 1. 
Jesus has already told you that sinners and tax collectors should be accepted. And then he says this, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, when the Pharisees saw it, they began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Listen, here's the cool thing about sinners. When sinners meet Jesus... They're not sinners anymore. And they do really wild and really radical things. Here's a rich tax collector. And he meets Jesus. And what does he say? Jesus, half of all my possessions I'm going to give to the poor. That is not normal for a rich person to say. Half of my possessions I give to the poor. And he, the chief sinner, says if I have wronged anyone, I'm going to pay them back four times what I've, what I've wronged them. So here's the idea. You bring sinners in. You bring sinners around. And you, you hope and you pray. And you introduce them to Jesus. And if and when they meet Jesus, they are forever changed by the gospel. Just like you hopefully have been changed by the gospel. You are not the same sinner you were when you met Jesus. If you are, you are not saved. And so... We don't try to fill the place with sinners to fill the place with sinners. We fill the place with sinners so that they can be saved and become more like Jesus Christ. Because Christ came into the world to save sinners. Last, last scripture to go to is Mark chapter 2. Here's another tax collector. Mark chapter 2 verse 13. Mark 2.13 says this, And he went out again by the seashore, that's Jesus, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them... And they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And that may be your question. Why are we doing all these things? Why put our church out there? Why open us up to vandalism? Why open us up to the things that we have being stolen? Why open us up to the whole race debate all over again? We don't care. Let me rephrase that. I don't care about any of that. I care that sinners come to meet Jesus. And if I have to replace something out of my own pocket 
and a sinner get saved, it was worth it. It was worth it. If we fill this place with sinners and their kids run all up and down the church, we have to replace this carpet years before we should. If it's 30-year carpet and we have to replace it next year because they spilled all their drink and stuff in the sanctuary, I don't care. I care that I get to sit beside those people in heaven for an eternity. What I live for and what I die for is when I get to heaven that a sinner come to me and say, thank you for sharing the gospel with me because if it weren't for that, I would spend an eternity in hell. Thank you for that. And so if we have to replace carpet, if we have to replace pianos because they bang on the keys, anything that happens doesn't matter if sinners are getting saved. What if somebody gets food poisoning and they sue us? Good. They got to hear the gospel. And we get to show them the grace that Christians show to lost people. That's why we do all this. So listen to what Jesus says. Verse 17. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so this Christmas season, there is nothing better that you could do than to eat and drink with sinners with the intention of getting them to Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, since you're all in agreement, we need your help in feeding lost people. Show up. Maybe you can't cook. Maybe you don't feel like you're qualified to serve. We need Christians who will sit amongst sinners and eat a meal and show them the love of Christ in the midst of them eating. We don't need to be a judgmental group of people who says, oh, we're feeding sinners. All the sinners sit here and we will serve you. That's not what we're about. We are sinners also. Listen to what Paul said. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We talked about that. But listen to the humility that Paul has. He says, among whom I am foremost of all. And so Paul realizes that when he stretches out his arms and he shares the gospel with people, that he's not just sharing with those sinners, that he believes that he is the foremost of all the sinners. And so he is able to compassionately share the gospel with them because I used to be one of you too. I was no different than you. Much like you have one drug addict can share the gospel with another drug addict in a way that none of us can. That's what's so great about the gospel is that you can take a group of people who used to be one way and they can go to people who still are that way and they can say there's hope, that there's light at the end of the tunnel and it's Jesus. And so we need all of you to, to be a part of what we're doing and help when we do all of these Christmas events. And I hope that just because somebody doesn't come tap you on the shoulder and ask you specifically for something, that you'll stay at a distance. I hope that this Christmas you will be the type of Christian who eats and drinks with sinners with the ambition of seeing them saved. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who being the fullness of God ate and drank with people like me. Lord, thank you that your son wasn't an elitist. Thank you that your son wasn't a racist. Because your son wasn't white, 
And he wasn't upper class. As a matter of fact, he was the opposite. Lord, he reached out his hand when we didn't want to take it. And he saved us. And so, God, I pray that we, as your people, would be willing to stretch out our hands to sinners, to people who are not like us, to people who live for things completely opposite of what we live for. And, God, I pray that you would help us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who's a grumbler or a complainer when it comes to having sinners around, that you would work and you would do a mighty work in their heart and change their heart. Lord, if they need to be saved, I pray that you would save them. And Lord, if there's anyone here who may say, wait a minute, I'm still a sinner. I don't understand this Jesus fellow you're talking about. God, I pray that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. Lord, I pray that they would they would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died on the cross for their sins and that when they put their faith in his name, that he will gladly come into their life and forgive them of their sins. And so, God, thank you for all of your blessings. And thank you for this building that we have. And I pray that we would use it as a resource to see sinners come to your saving name. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand for a hymn of invitation. Well, thank you again for coming. I want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, there's an insert in your bulletin of all the different ways you can help with the events that we're doing this December. Also, there's a handful of Christmas parties coming up that, uh, that you're invited to. And so be on the lookout for your, um, for your Sunday school class doing different things. Uh, there is a... Uh, this Monday, the youth are sponsoring the spaghetti dinner for the course. And so students, if you're able to be at the church at, uh, tell me, remind me, at 4 o'clock uh, after you get out of school, that'd be perfect. Uh, if any of you others want to come and help on uh, Monday as well, uh, we would be glad for you to come. And if we have too much help, it would be greater for us to send you home because we have too much help than for us to wish that you had come. And so be on the lookout for all sorts of things like that. Don't forget tonight is a Christmas cantata. Ton of hard work has gone into this thing. You're going to be blessed by coming. I feel like I'm forgetting something. Is there anything else going on around that I might be forgetting that you might be eating lunch and wish that I would have said nothing? All right. I gave you a shot. Let's uh, let's close in prayer. Brother Jack Powell, would you close us in prayer?